What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Bitcoin! Hello everyone, welcome back to On The Ledger. This is your host Mol Said. I'm glad to be back once again for what I have to say is a conversation that I'm pretty much looking forward to. It's no secret that 2023 was a year of challenges and adjustments for the crypto industry. But as we step into 2024, a glimmer of hope is emerging. The market is finally showing signs of recovery, builders are re-energized, and regulatory clarity is paving the way for even greater innovation. And amidst this renewed optimism, one ecosystem has truly stood out. Of course, I am talking about Solana. And a few days ago at Davos, Ledger CEO Pascal Gauthier had the pleasure of engaging with Lily Liu, president of the Solana Foundation, to discuss the exciting developments underway and what's in store for the ecosystem in the year ahead. We're thrilled to share with you some of their insights today and provide a glimpse into the future of Solana and the broader crypto industry. Lily, Pascal, welcome. We're glad to have you with us. Thanks, Mel. Good to be here. Good to see you again, Pascal. Good to see you again, Lily. Long time. So, first of all, how was your trip to Davos? In a context of, you know, Bitcoin ETF approval and growing discussions around CBDCs, I imagine you've taken part of, you know, some fascinating conversations. So, what truly stood out this year? Uh, well, um, every every year when you walk the promenade, you get an idea for uh, what is trendy, what's in focus. <clears throat> I would say the promenade was a lot more subdued this year than at least last year from what I hear the years before that. <clears throat> uh, unmistakably, there was a presence of AI. You know, every couple of pavilion, uh, pavilions, there was an AI pavilion. And there was actually a lot less crypto um, on the promenade than in past years. I think that's probably a good thing. But uh, you could see, at least to me, I felt like it looked a little bit like uh, the promenade during a bear market uh, and a global okay. bear market, not just a crypto bear market. Was this the same experience for you, Pascal? Look, you know, I think uh, this year I was more in clusters than I was in uh, Davos, to be honest. Uh, clusters is the next village. Uh, it's actually, the, the, the whole event is actually called Davos Clusters. I'm not sure that people are very familiar with what's happening in Davos. They're just to explain, you know, it's... It, the whole event is like sort of Davos clusters. These are two villages in Switzerland. The main uh, fair is taking place in Davos. That's the World Economic Forum. Only a few people are invited to the World Economic Forum. Around the World Economic Forum, everywhere in Davos, you have a bunch of you know uh, off WEF events, uh, and that can be you know sort of anything from AI to crypto, and you know anyone who wants to present anything because it's true that you know it's a it's a huge networking event and you know you have a lot of people that come from everywhere in the world to to davos a lot of political power a lot of businesses etc um with lily last year we sort of decided to uh to do something in clusters uh because clusters is is, is another village uh that is uh, practically empty uh during during the fair so it's a nicer place to stay. Uh, it's less hectic. And uh, we had this idea of organizing like a, a counter event to, to, to the World Economic Forum. And I explain why in a second uh, in clusters and, you know, have our guests coming there, etc. Uh, it was the first edition. So, you know, uh, we uh, uh, it was a good one. Uh, we did it in a hurry. Uh, and, uh, you know, next one will be better uh, for sure. But uh 
But the idea is, you know, the World Economic Forum stands from, you know, uh, uh, if I if I want to simplify it, it's like, you know, the sacrifice of uh, public liberties, uh, public freedom, uh, you know, to, to, to the greater good. Uh, there is always something there is a greater good and, you know, individual freedoms are sacrificed uh, for the benefit of the greater good, you know, which is one way of looking at the world. You know, I'm not even saying that this is evil, it's just one way of looking at the world. And, you know, uh, the ethos of, you know, Bitcoin and, and crypto in general is, uh, you know, individual freedom. And so we wanted to to start a movement uh, around, you know, uh, crypto and and the philosophy around crypto uh, to promote individual freedoms and remind everyone that, you know, individual freedoms are at risk. Technology is a way to uh, entrap uh, the consumer, the citizen. And so, but technology is, is probably also a way to free uh, consumer and citizen. And, you know, this is what we, we want to promote. So to tell you the truth, I, I didn't go much to Davos and I stayed focused in clusters to, uh, to, 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 what we were, to what we were doing. So I don't have much to say on Davos. <laughs> but I, I, I love that you outlined that con contrast though between like individual freedom and at the end of the day control. And, you know, I, you know, the main thing I started my question with was ETFs and CBDCs. And it seems like these fall more on the control side of the spectrum versus, you know, self-custody and um, complete ownership of, of digital assets, which is more on the individual freedom side of the spectrum. How, how are these conversations happening around, you know, Davos or, you know, the, this other village that you were in that I completely forgot its name. Sorry about that, Pascal. How is it called? Clusters. 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 Yeah. Yes. So so maybe clusters was more like, you know, another type of conversation. But I assume you you were having conversations with people that were going to both events. How how did the ETF, Bitcoin ETF news land? Because the timing was kind of perfect. It was like a few weeks before before the event. A few days. Yeah. A few days. Yeah. Uh, look, it was uh, pretty well ex uh, expected, <clears throat> I think highly anticipated, uh, and it turned into a non-event when it was actually announced, right? A little bit of mm -hmm. maybe a, a buy the news, uh, buy the news sell, uh, buy the rumor, sell the news type of situation. Um, but, you know, I think the contrast is Pascal outlined is exactly kind of what it is, right? The, the worldview that's represented by the World Economic Forum is... <clears throat> one of uh, stakeholder capitalism. Who are those stakeholders? It's defined by the elite, right? Uh, uh, at, you know, these small villages that uh, are very inaccessible to most. And it's a worldview that is based on collectivism. Uh, and that's just a very, that's a big contrast to the worldview that underlies all of crypto, um, which is based on one of self-custody. Of course, you know, that's something that you guys have been huge in advancing. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, you continue to see that contrast when there's excitement around these very centralizing forces, such as CBDCs. Uh, which is essentially sort of, you know, once again, co-opting new rails of technology to accentuate state power effectively, right? State power, globalism, and the exertion of collectivism uh, per the view of, uh, of the elite few. Uh, that's essentially <clears throat> what CBDCs represent. Uh, and AI as well is a hugely centralizing technological force. Uh, and so at least in my view, uh, there are so many, uh, so many of these kind of technological trends um, oftentimes start out in a more grassroots uh, uh, form, right? That's even true of Web 1, Web 2, 
uh, and then what happens is they get co-opted by these globalist forces uh, and end up um, being actually accelerants of centralization, which means the uh, elevation or the, the deprioritization of individual rights. And I think you see similar trends here, right? It's not necessarily intentional uh, from the outset, but that just ends up being the trend of what happens. We've seen that happen in social media. Uh, and that is, <clears throat> I think, why we wanted to do the WEF3 event uh, as to be a counterpoint to um, what is this kind of seemingly unstoppable train of, uh, of using technology to you know, further, uh, further enhance the power of, um, of you know, the elite globalists. And how do you think like, ETFs impact the ethos of crypto in the long term? You know, long term is always hard to say. Like, nobody, nobody really has a... A crystal ball, but uh, you know, it's funny the way that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, you know, came to to market. I mean, you know, they they came through through centralized uh, marketplaces, you know, Coinbase and Mongox and uh, and Binance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know, you would uh, you would argue that uh, you know decentralization promoted by centralized marketplaces. Uh, is uh, is interesting, and so for me, uh, ETFs are you know sort of same as before. Like you know, you would onboard through Coinbase now, you can onboard through an ETF, but but it's not because uh, you did that that you know the Bitcoin network, the Solana network, the Ethereum network, like you know, actually don't function the way they're supposed to function. You know, with uh, with good decentralization, with security, um, with uh, the price of token providing the security for for, for, for the network. So. You know, I, I don't foresee uh, any change, uh, and especially for, for, for Bitcoin, I think, you know, Bitcoin has proven time and time again that it's a, it's a very strong network. And actually, you know, it's, a, um, it's because it's a strong network, it's because it's decentralized, it's because it's, a, you know, it has all these characteristics that, that you can build an ETF on top. And it's because of that that it has value, if you see what I mean. And so if you feel that an ETF is going to destroy the core value of Bitcoin, then it doesn't make sense because then the ETF has no value itself. And it's a negative spiral uh, where the price will sort of race to the bottom. Um, I mean, the price has gone down since the ETF has been launched, but I don't think this is what's happening. I think it's more like a, uh, a market reassessment of the price and you know, price will probably go up. Uh, for the rest of the year, but again, at Ledger, we don't make price prediction. We just about security. But but uh, just to say that, I feel that what's going to happen with ETF and 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 you know users uh, going through an ETF will be the same as users going through Coinbase. You you journey start with Coinbase or with an ETF, and at some point you realize that you know uh, either you want to hold your your money yourself because you know there are many reasons why you would want to do that, or part of your money yourself. And uh, in the future, you might need your private keys to interact with, you know, uh, apps and dApps that would be built on top of protocols. Like if you don't have your Bitcoins or if you don't have your Solana or if you don't have your coins yourself and your private keys, you cannot interact with a bunch of uh, services that are being now created on top of, uh, of, of the protocols. And, you know, it might seem uh, futuristic today, like, you know, because people are like, you know, what is the use case, etc., but some use cases are really clear. Like, you know, if you want to use DeFi, you need to have your private keys. You can't just leave them at the bank. Uh, and so you'll see more and more of that uh, with Bitcoin. You'll see more and more of that with Solana. But I would leave, uh, leave you to, to, to comment on that. But, you know, this is where I feel that the market is going. And sometimes, you know, people don't see it today. So it doesn't exist. Uh, however, 
if you think about the internet in 1995, like, you know, many things didn't exist. And in, uh, you know, 2004, you had uh, uh, Facebook, you know, uh, that didn't exist in, in 1995. And it was hard to imagine uh, social networks, you know, uh, at, in 1995. So I feel that, you know, in 10 years from now or five years from now, uh, there'll be a bunch of applications running on top of protocols where you need the private keys to interact. And if you don't have them on your ledger or in some kind of self-custody, then you'll be, you know, uh, you won't be able to interoperate with at protocol level, which uh, which which will be um, uh, your loss. So you know, I think uh, the usage is going to force people to hold their keys because otherwise you won't be able to interact. Oh, definitely. I think ultimately it's just about more people getting exposure to this industry uh, through accessible vectors that weren't necessarily available to them before. Um, and we're going to talk about accessibility and adoption in a bit, but first I, I'd love to kind of maybe do a recap of the past couple of years because they've definitely been, uh, you know, um, very, I would say, significant for the development of the ecosystem. And Lily, I, I want to rewind the painful events of November 2022 uh, when the FTX collapse triggered a market-wide downturn that unfortunately significantly impacted Solana. Uh, however, you know, on the bright side, amidst all of these challenges, Solana has emerged probably stronger than ever um, with a surge of like impressive developments in the recent months and over the, pa- the course of the you know, past year as well. Um, and it's fair to say that, you know, in, in the recent months, the market has reacted pretty well to these developments. So I'm curious, how, how did Solana manage to pull off this turnaround? Um, you know, <clears throat> uh, that was obviously a very interesting time for all of crypto and Solana, I think, got uh, uh, was certainly more impacted than most other projects during that time. <clears throat> um, but, you know, uh, I think what we've seen happen over the last few months is really just recognizing um, the it, t- it takes a while for substance and narrative to, to and perception of reality to, ca- to catch up with one another. Right. Um, within Solana, I think that um, the tech has always been unique and the tech has always um, you know, been very interesting to a lot of developers and has been the impetus for us to have a really strong developer community. I think uh, if you look after Ethereum, <clears throat> if you look after EVM, uh, the second largest standalone independent developer community is Solana. And that's something that uh, is not so fair weather that, uh, you know, it just that it kind of you know, evaporates upon some hard times. Um, and so I think, you know, for us, it's really about community and culture. Um, you know, to me, uh, the most important thing in a blockchain is the network itself. Otherwise, there is no blockchain. There's nothing to do. Uh, and then second to that is the, devel- is the developer community and kind of the culture of the community. Uh, uh, and that's something that uh, I think we've uh, gotten right really from the beginning. And I think that's uh, in huge credit to uh, Raj Tolley and the founding team um, to uh, be... Uh, not just be innovating, but really sort of honestly just be nice people. Uh, I know that sounds like like a simplification, but I actually think that's a big part of it, um, especially in crypto when you have a lot of sort of uh, tribal behavior. Um, I think Solana has been uh, quite good at uh, at being you know clear about sort of what we're here to accomplish, um, what is the mission of Solana within the sort of uh, greater vision of blockchain. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, to me, what... <clears throat> To me, what is like a, a constant sort of uh, marker of you know someone that's really dedicated to crypto is honestly whether you believe in self custody or not. Um, that has been uh, from the beginning a uh, driving force of kind of Solana's vision, right? How do we onboard a billion people into self custody? 
um, is one way we've put it you know, quite frequently in the past. Uh, and so as a result, I think we've always had a really strong community that's really dedicated to what Solana is here to achieve and what crypto more broadly is here to achieve. Um, and so that substance has always been there, right? If you look at some of the breakout projects right now, they seem like breakouts to other folks in the ecosystem. Um, if you look in just DeFi, for example, right? Orca, Radium, Jupiter, uh, Phoenix, uh, and many others that I'm not even mentioning right now, right? Um, these are all projects that have been building for years, um, and they did a great job during the bear market. Um, and uh, and so they might seem like breakouts to other folks, uh, but they're uh, they're folks that have been uh, just amazing in the ecosystem. Um, and there's also other projects that were built during the bear market. Uh, so in my mind, what's uh, bear markets that can be painful, painful, but what they also do reveal is the true builders out there, right? And the folks that kind of have that metal um, to get through some of the darkest of times. And not only that, uh, but find ways to even innovate um, uh, during those, during, uh, during the darkness. So, uh, so Bonk, as an example, took a lot of people by storm um, over the last month or two. Uh, Bonk was born around Christmas of uh, 2022, right? Uh, right when the ecosystem was having the hardest time. Um, and now it's become the community coin, right? So in a way, that's a little bit of an allegory for, uh, for the strength of the community. Um, and, uh, and that was you know, something that essentially uh, got airdropped to some of the most loyal uh, participants within Solana. And now that is, uh, that is like the meme coin within Solana, uh, however you feel about meme coins. Um, so uh, there's, just, there's a lot of substance to Solana that I think took maybe close to a year for people to really appreciate. Um, and, uh, um, so, you know, to me, it's not a flash in the pan. It's not, um, you know, just another hype cycle within, uh, within crypto. Um, I think you saw a big cycle within, you know, a lot of things kind of came to the light within Solana in 2021. I think you saw that again recently, and I think there's just going to be more of that. Yeah, totally. And I have to say that bonk airdrop for the Solana phone was, was such an incredible idea. And just seeing how the market reacted afterwards and in terms of like, uh, the overall, yeah you know, CRM engagement abilities uh, through, mm -hmm. through such a vector is super smart. Pascal, just to, you know, talk also about the fact that Ledger is also emerging from this market downturn uh, with, with perspectives, obviously, on the evolution of the business from the consumer side, um, mainly to empower users to self-custody their assets. And then obviously with Ledger not Live now, users can access a wide variety of crypto services directly from within the security of the Ledger ecosystem. But then you're also working on the enterprise side um, and that, that is a you know big focus in providing the technology uh, for corporations to manage and grow their digital assets. So could you tell us more about how you've experienced the past couple of years and how it shapes the vision for Ledger in the future? I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Like, you know, I always try to, to see what's good rather than, you know, what's obviously bad. Uh, but I have to say that, you know, those past two years have been, you know, better for Ledger than, than some other companies. Like, you know, first of all, we're, we're still alive <laughs> and uh, the company is still running. Uh, we have 600 employees uh, and we're delivering a variety of products. Uh, and I would say that the business has never been stronger and the company has never been stronger. Uh, we've done that exercise of going from, you know, you know, bull to bear and, and again, again, again. So, so we, I'm not going to say it's like riding a bicycle, but now we have a habit of doing it. And, and the game is to get fit during the bear and be aggressive during the bull, you know? So 
you want to ship as many products as possible during the bear, so you're very ready when the bull starts, and so you can you can enjoy, um, you know, uh, the, the the full power of the bull. Uh, if I can if I can present it this way, uh, this is what we've done this time again, and I, you know, and I think that interestingly for us, you know, the the bull in twenty one uh, was correlated with our Series C uh, funding, and you know, we started you know big investment into the future of ledger, so sort of new devices and new services and new connectivity, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, big push on ledger enterprise. Uh, and at the end of 23, you know, it's uh, the, the business of ledger has completely changed. We went from being a, a hardware only company to uh, in terms of revenue to hardware and, and, and software and, you know, from one-time revenue with hardware to, you know, repeat uh, hardware uh, sales and you know uh, and and you know uh, ARR with uh, every software revenue that we have now from sort of uh, transactional revenues all the way to uh, pure SaaS revenue with Ledger Enterprise and so the business is very diversified as really diversifies over the years and we actually done what we say we would do during the Series C um, and so Ledger is a much more robust company uh, I think uh, we. You know, we, we really like sometimes to, uh, you know, the, the drama, the industry loves drama, you know, that's, uh, uh, you know, it's pushed by, you know, journalists, social media, etc. you know, drama sells uh, on X, uh, you know, this is, uh, if you try to say something positive on X, you get two likes, if you say something, you know, extremely dramatic and negative, you get, you know, 5,000 likes. Um, and so interestingly enough, you know, 2022 for us was, was a good year because of the collapse of FTX and a bunch of centralized value propositions. You know uh, that did put self custody uh, right in the middle of the map, and so it's, it's almost like in twenty two, people remembered why crypto, and if not self custody, why crypto, and you know, uh, and, and if self custody ledger. Uh, so twenty two was actually a very good year, on par with twenty one, which was a record year, and twenty three was a bit more difficult from a revenue standpoint because we didn't have the the, the winds of FTX, if you like, and so we were back with with the market not. A little better, like not, not not worse than the average. So you know, everyone suffered in in twenty three, but it's a it's a it's a year where you suffer. If you compare it to the worst year in the last bear market of Ledger, we we're doing five x the revenue. So you know, in comparison, I mean, if you compare it to the best year, you're doing less. If you compare it to to uh, to, to to the comparable year uh, in the last bear market, we're doing five x, and so that gives you an approximation of. Uh, not necessarily how much the market has grown, but how, how Ledger has grown from, you know, last bear market to this bear market. And it's largely due to these new services that, that we've launched. So, you know, I'm not going to say it was easy because honestly, uh, I remember doing a speech in front of the whole team uh, at an offsite in Tenerife where I claimed that I liked bad weather, uh, you know, just to say we're going into bad weather. I really like it. It's great. Honestly, uh, by the end of 23, uh, it felt like enough bad weather, uh, and uh, and it's okay to have a, a bit of uh, you know clear blue sky and and some sun and you know Solana pumping and you know crypto being crypto and you know recovering from from the ashes. And so you know I feel very positive about what's coming ahead. I hope uh, that we're gonna have a lot of good news uh, to. Uh, for our customers and for the people that are following Ledger, I think you know some uh, of our customers and uh, and followers have been disappointed by some of the stuff that happened last year. But you know, I think um, uh, I think we're going to do much better this year. And so uh, you know, to I think we will recover uh, trust 
from most of our users uh, because of all the good news that are coming. So I'm smiling. I cannot say anything now, but there's a bunch of stuff coming uh, uh, your way uh, and, uh, and it's good. Uh, so 24 is going to be definitely a better year. And, uh, and again, in the bear market, you learn so much. We are a much better company after uh, 23, starting 24, than we were uh, in 21. Wonderful. Cheers to that. And uh, speaking of future visions, Lily, I want to get back to something that you were mentioning earlier um, around the diversity of use cases uh, that are emerging within the Solana ecosystem. And, um, you know, you've mentioned, obviously, uh, you know, meme coins and, and definitely DeFi. Um, and I think with the MasterCard and, and the Visa partnerships, um, was it Visa or MasterCard? I think it was MasterCard. Visa, sorry, my bad. Visa partnership. You you are basically bridging traditional finance with uh, the world of DeFi as well. Uh, and, you know, a lot of like different things. We mentioned the Solana phone uh, and the emergence of like different use cases with, on that front as well. And and this adaptability has been instrumental in, in Solana's growth and, and success. However, you know, you definitely have an increasing block space uh, supply in the in the overall crypto industry, and that's currently maybe outpacing the demand for block space. Um, and some people argue that blockchain protocols should be designed with specific use cases in mind. Um, does Solana adhere to this approach? And if so, what are its primary focus areas? Um, so I think that uh, there, I think there's a project tech spectrum between the general purpose uh, blockchains and then the more application specific blockchains, right? So Cosmos is the one that originally articulated the vision for application specific infrastructure, and I actually think for uh, a lot of folks that are developing now, uh, a lot of you know projects or blockchain uh, blockchains that are developing now, um, I I think it's going to be hard to compete on a general purpose L1. Uh, level, right? Because the trend mm -hmm. now is more towards application-specific infrastructure, and uh, and those that can provide that sort of uh, uh, you know L1 security layer, uh, it's much more competitive now than it would have been a few years ago, right? Uh, so uh, so I think that uh, that's something that Solana has uh, has quite a position in, uh, right? Because at this point, you know, even though the the core tech is open source, so people sometimes think there are no network effects in crypto. There are network effects when it comes to developer communities, right? That is the strongest network effect and an extremely sticky sort of network effect. So, uh, anyways, I think there's a product tech spectrum here, uh, and I think there is very much a role for general purpose L1s because essentially what you do is you abstract away uh, the <clears throat> the validator management, right? Uh, a lot of the underlying infrastructure and allows you as an application developer to focus. Uh, specifically on your application, and there are, there are a lot of applications where you don't actually need to have your own validator set. There are some where you are better off having your own validator set and being vertically integrated all the way from kind of you know L1 infrastructure all the way up to you know uh, UI, right? Uh, but most applications are not actually like that, right? If you're launching a governance token, for example, you don't need uh, to be rolling your own infrastructure. Uh, if you are you know, doing something which is you know, uh, focused on creator economy gaming or something like that, uh, you're probably better off allocating your developer resources to actually building the um, application rather than you know, focusing on blockchain-based infrastructure. So given that there's going to be, if, if we all adhere to uh, the vision, which I think you know, we do, given that we're in crypto, work in crypto, and have been for a long time, that this is foundational technology that can that has a role in uh, in you know creating 10x applications and really unique uh, user experiences at the end of the day. Uh, then there should be a diversity of applications that are going to be that are going to incorporate some aspect of blockchain infrastructure. 
Uh, and within that diversity of applications, there's going to be a lot of them that just simply you don't need your own, you don't need your own backend effectively, right? Uh, and so I think that's really the role of these L1s. Um, and so we call the different things, economic security, so on and so forth. It's really just, you know, product tech trade-offs at the end of the day. Okay. So that being said, um, I think Solana is now really pretty much cemented as being one of the primary L1 uh, options, right? Where you have the developer community, right? You've got cool tech underneath, uh, and you also have economic security uh, that can scale at this point. Uh, and then, in my opinion, if you're going to be in sort of the general purpose L1 market, then you can't just be serving one or even two use cases, right? Because your whole pitch is that <clears throat> is that you can build these various applications and they're composable with one another. Uh, and that is also why uh, performance and having high performance network has always been so important to us, right? Because the higher performance you can have on the base layer... Uh, separate question whether it can always scale to meet what future demand is, right? But the higher performance you have on a single layer, uh, then the more you can benefit from these applications interacting with one another and, you know, I guess we call that composability. Uh, and so, you know, when we think about DeFi and gaming and NFTs, ultimately these are the types of things that are going to have to interact together. So on a very, this is a very simple example, uh, if you are playing a game, you have an in-game item and you want to get liquidity for that item immediately, you know, on-chain, then have being able to compose, for example, a DeFi protocol with, uh, with you know, a gaming protocol is uh, quite essential to create that seamless experience. Uh, and so I know there's, you know, endless discussion around the various trade-offs between these different architectures and these different approaches. Um, that is not the only perspective out there, but that is a perspective and I think a very strong, uh, a very strong kind of value proposition, if you will, uh, for why Solana and also why general purpose L1s. Uh, so, uh, so it's, you know, the composability within there, uh, and, uh, and also, you know, uh, the high performance and the throughput of Solana is what supports a lot of those use cases, even having the potential to be adjacent to one another. Um, I will say in addition to, uh, improving the performance, um, of the core network, right? And so people commonly, uh, talk about that in terms of TPS, right? We are doing a lot of things on that front, introducing a new core client, um, uh, in partnership with Jump in the production of Fire Dancer. So Fire Dancer uh, eventually, I think, can probably get us to, uh, you know, a high five digits, even six digit TPS, which is uh, just no one else on the market today is anywhere close to that, right? Uh, so I think that's really transformative. That's in terms of core protocol performance. <clears throat> but in addition to and that... That, we, that would be much higher than traditional railways as well, right? Like how, how much is Visa, for instance? It's like 7,000. Uh, that, I don't know. I have to look and see what yeah. Visa is, uh, right? But it's, it's you know, order. it is literally an order of magnitude different uh, from what other architectures are proposing, right? Um, even sort of, you know, in the high throughput blockchain category, if you will. Uh, so that's one thing on the, the core protocol. But then uh, in addition to that, we've been working on a number of, I guess you could call them features or, uh, or capabilities of also the core protocol to further improve performance. So I guess three would be interesting to point out. One is local fee markets. And so unlike Ethereum, where uh, what, if there's a lot of demand on the chain, it increases prices for everyone, right? With local fee markets, uh, it's, uh, it's possible to sort of only implement, as you call it, surge pricing um, around uh, certain contract addresses. So if there's a, a hot NFT drop, then those people pay more. But if I'm trying to send you a payment, then I, we still uh, pay each other. The, the fees are basically still the same. Um, so that's one thing. Another one uh, that we launched about a year ago is called State Compression. So they basically brought the cost of minting NFTs from uh, down to about $100 to mint 100,000 NFTs. And if you're doing that on ETH, 
could cost you half a million dollars, right? I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's massively different. And what that means is that you can actually enable new use cases, right? It's not just about the first order TPS and, oh, wow, that was fast and that was cheap. Uh, it's, to me, it's a little bit the difference between 56K internet and then broadband internet and the difference in Netflix as a company and their product, right? On uh, their shipping DVDs 20 years ago when most people had sort of modems or you know, something just past the modem, and then today you can have streaming. Is it the same company? Maybe, right? Is the product the same? Absolutely not. And that to me is the difference that performance makes in terms of uh, use cases in crypto. Uh, so uh, with state compression, right, that's not exactly sort of core protocol throughput, but it's, it's, uh, it, it gives applications sort of more performance. Uh, and those are the types of things that we'll continue to work on. Fascinating. Right. I'm going to 100% steal that Netflix example from you, uh, Lily. No, but Pascal, what's your take well, on, well, on that? Do. You know, when you think about Ledger as a product and as a company, um, most people still use their ledgers in order to like secure and hold their assets. But with all of these use cases evolving in terms of, you know, gaming and, and talking about like the ability to be able to interact uh, with, with all of these like services, um, how are you thinking about like how that will, will impact the future of Ledger? Obviously, in, in the short to midterm, we know that there are plans related to hardware, but also like in, in the long term. Well, uh, you know, Ledger was primarily designed as a sort of buy and hold technology. It was when, you know, it was only Bitcoin and uh, most of what you could do with Bitcoin, probably still to date, is to sort of buy and hold, where, you know, the payment use case is not widely deployed. Um, but if you look at Ethereum or Solana, like, you know, what we see on Ledger is these communities interact much more at protocol level with, you know, different apps, dApps, et cetera, et cetera. And so you can, you can already see the future of what Lily is describing and sort of what's happening with sort of higher connectivity and higher scalability. And, you know, Ledger has done a, a move in that direction. Um, but Ledger is a, fundamentally, it's a, it's a hardware company. And so in order to secure your private keys, hardware is your best bet. Uh, but hardware is very hard to develop. And, you know, if you think about a product today, you know, you'll go to market maybe next year. And so there is a, there, there is some time. And, and, and the product that goes to market next year will be designed a certain way. And if the market has already evolved, then you need to wait for next year to, to, to have the new product, you know, designed in a, in a more appropriate way. And so we have a very, very long hardware roadmap actually of you know, devices that we have uh, for 24, for 25, for 26, et cetera. And we have a long view on you know, where the market is gonna go. And for us, it's not necessarily uh, always about being first, uh, but it's, uh, it's about being sort of just. Um, because first in hardware is very difficult. Uh, you know, there are so many trends in crypto and sometimes they go up and down as quickly as they went up, etc. So you can't just jump on every trend and, and try to support it with your hardware, your operating system and, and your software. These are the three layers of, of Ledger. Um, we're probably a very unique company to actually work on, on these three technology layers uh, at once. Um, and so... For us, it's, uh, you know, think about uh, supporting all communities, think about stability, think about Switzerland. Well, you know, Ledger is Switzerland for crypto. Uh, and, uh, and this is how we see the future. So, you know, we not being always first means that, you know, sometimes we let the trend be like a real trend and then, you know, support communities once they've, you know, 
grown to a certain size and you know wait for the use cases to be uh, outside of the proof of concept uh, kind of uh, moments and, and go into sort of full production. Uh, and then it's easier for us to, to, to see what's what, to support it, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, we, we're developing everything as an open platform to you know, fast track the, uh, the, the rhythm of development and have like third parties code directly on Ledger, whether it's the Ledger Nanos or Ledger and Nano and Ledger Live or, you know, or even Ledger Enterprise uh, and, be, and work much uh, closely with developer communities uh, for uh, every protocol, I guess, and every app and app. So, so people can use Ledger really as a security platform and, you know, and code on top of it. And on that, you know, you can think of us as, uh, you know, Apple uh, iPhone and, you know, in the app store, like, you know, that's really the, that's really what we're going for, but we're not taking 30%, you know, we, we're much uh, cheaper uh, and uh, we, we're less aggressive than, than, than Apple. Uh, and in many cases, actually, we, we don't, we don't charge anything because we just want, you know, people to start interacting with protocols and to start, you know, uh, uh, working with, uh, with, uh, with apps and, uh, and, and apps. So, that's that's how we think about the future. I cannot say much more because then I have to, you know, uh, kill you and you know, t- well, tell you the secrets and then kill you, which would be awful uh, on a podcast. Uh, but uh, but but news to come very soon. And I think the one thing that I can say is, you know, twenty four is the year where the the people will see a glimpse of the future of you know what hardware wallets are going to become. I think twenty four will be a segue between you know. Where we were, uh, 24 is going to be a big moment, and it's going to give a glimpse of you know where all of this is going to go in the future, and and people maybe people will have a bit of a eureka moment where they were like, ah, oh, okay, so hardware wallets can also do this and that, and this is where they're going. But uh, but again, we have a long roadmap, and, and we're here to support the industry in the long run. And I just want to double click on something that that you mentioned, which is the that layered cake. Uh, between like the hardware, the operating system, and then the software, and also something that you know Lily was talking about is the you know multiplication of different services that people can access. And obviously with Ledger, it's not only about the security of your keys; it's also about your ability to be able to verify information when you interact with these different services in order to provide uh, you know access or not to your different assets. And um, around like overall, uh, you know, Ledger's ability to be able to work with these dApps in order to secure these, uh, you know, signatures or accesses with Ledger Live and outside of Ledger Live, there's been uh, a lot of talk about like blind signing and and, and clear signing. Um, can you can you tell us more about around that and and you know what what you think Ledger role is moving forward, uh, in 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 that specific use case? Yeah, I mean. Ledger role is always the same, you know, try to do the best at security, but, you know, the market is moving fast. So there's been a workaround. We've always, uh, prom- we always, we always promoted clear signing, meaning that, you know, if you don't see it on your ledger, you can't, you, you don't know where it's going to go. And so you have to clear sign every transaction that you do, but the market moving very fast, you know, uh, I would say that clear signing is not the norm right now. And blind signing is the norm, but the problem with blind signing is, you know, uh, uh, it's very hard to understand where the coins are going. And so, you know, hackers can really, uh, you know, uh, direct the coins wherever wherever they wish. And, you know, this is something that happened at the end of the year uh, with the, you know, with the ConnectKit uh, uh, hack, uh, where it was a chain of events. So it's something that happened at, at Ledger level, but that was connected to a bunch of other players in the space. And so, 
it was like a, a domino failure. So, you know, we started first, but then every, everything failed. And the reason why it failed is because uh, uh, users are all blind signing their transaction. Uh, if you would clear sign your transaction, this hack would have not been possible. And so for us, it was a, a, a good moment to say that, and we will announce soon uh, what's the plan on clear signing, but a good moment to say that, you know, Ledger won't support, uh, you know, blind signing in the future, uh, because we don't believe it's actually possible to secure the space if we continue supporting blind signing. You know, I think this is where mistakes happen. This is where hackers can can hack. And so uh, uh, we, we can't compromise no longer on security. Um, and uh, and this is what we're going to do for the industry. Interestingly enough, you know, the what we said was very, was very well received. Uh, and what we will do is to have a clear communication with the community and say what we're going to do before we actually do it, get feedback, et cetera, and have a very iterative process with, with, all, with, the, with the crypto community just to, uh, to set the standard because clear signing has to be the standard. And, you know, uh, it's true that sometimes uh, convenience, people go for convenience, ease of use, you know, so blind signing is very easier. It's more convenient than, you know, to have to verify on your ledger that the transaction is right. But, you know, the problem with convenience is sometimes it contradicts security. Uh, and so, you know, we no longer want to compromise on, on, on security. Uh, not for Ledger, actually. Ledger and Ledger Live was always secure, was never hacked, etc. So that's not, you know, the core product of Ledger is the most secure in the market. But this connectivity with apps and dApps where you have this domino effect of several players connected to each other and each failing at uh, their... Uh, security. That's that. That's where the the, the problem happens. So we will fix that with uh, with clear signing, and you know uh, the announcement is coming soon uh, of uh, what we intend to do and uh, communication to again the community is going to be very important on this one because we want everyone on board and everybody to understand you know sort of why we're doing this and 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 you know on this one this is the greater good for security uh, and so you know we will compromise on convenience a little bit but for for security and if people are more secure i think this industry will strive and just to make a parallel there because it feels like there there are two trilemmas on, on both ends there's on the you know on the ledger end it's more like between ease of use ownership and security and then on solana is more like decentralization um you know scalability and then security as well uh lily how are you thinking about this because obviously you know um solana is one of the most scalable blockchains out there uh, but there's also, uh, you know, the kind of uh, fact that people argue that achievement, this achievement sometimes comes at the expense of like decentralization and security. Uh, can you elaborate how are you thinking about this equation uh, from the Solana's end as well? Um, well, I think that uh, the two most common critiques that I feel like I've heard on that one are that uh, Solana is very centralized. Uh, and I think that that is honestly, just factually no longer true. I think that might have been true when the blockchain first launched in 2020, as it is true for every blockchain upon launch. Uh, but if you look at um, all metrics of decentralization within Solana, so you look, for example, uh, you know, the easiest one is you look at the super minority, right? How many uh, nodes do you have to corrupt in order to corrupt 33% of the network? Um, it's always between 20 and 30. I think we're in the low 20s right now, even as high as, I think, 32. And if you compare that with all proof-of-stake blockchains, it is you know either the most or one of the top three most decentralized uh, blockchains from that metric alone, right, which is a top-level metric. Uh, and then if you look at the size of the network, um, it's uh, right now I think we're uh, well over 2,000 nodes. Uh, and even the bear market, we had as many as, I think, 1,700 nodes. 
uh, and uh, that is you know far and away more than any other blockchain out there. And this is with some of the highest CPU hardware requirements that you can find in the market. Uh, so uh, so then the next question is, well, oh, are all those nodes sitting in AWS and Hetzner? And the answer is no, and specifically not in Hetzner because they actually uh, disallowed <laughs> all of the nodes that were operating in Hetzner. Uh, and no one, and as a, as a marker of decentralization, uh, they overnight, uh, back in November of 2022, uh, actually disallowed all validator operations in Hetzner uh, data centers. And, uh, and that could have been uh, dramatic, uh, but actually no one really noticed, right? Uh, so this is not something where, you know, you've got 2,000 nodes all sitting in racks right uh, right next to one another uh, in you know an AWS data center, which actually is uh, perhaps the case for some blockchains out there. Uh, so you know on on a lot of the top level metrics, I think Solana is actually one of the most decentralized networks. Um, and then uh, if you look at other aspects of decentralization, uh, number of core clients, right? There's uh, the there's two core clients. Um, one of them is being actively uh, the, there's kind of the primary one right now, which is the original Solana Labs team, and then there's uh, Fire Dancer, which is something a lot of people are really excited about. It's just really cool tech, right, and highly performant. So uh, core client diversification, uh, that's well underway. Um, we'll see more of that in the future. Uh, and then when you look at also just the diversity of the community, right, uh, Solana was founded in the United States uh, and still has a very strong presence in the United States. Uh, but then over the last couple of years, we've seen this flourishing of the community in basically every region around the world. Uh, so, you know, I think the critique has mostly been uh, originally around the validator network from 2020 uh, and sort of the lingering narrative, even though it's, you know, been factually uh, sort of uh, it's factually untrue these days. Uh, and the other critique is really around the core architecture requires a fairly advanced machine, right? Uh, and so on that one, uh, I don't know that it's necessarily a requirement that for a blockchain to be maximally decentralized, you have to be able to run a node on your desktop, right? Uh, and so these are all just design trade-offs. Um, uh, it is still possible, in my opinion, to uh, have reason to have reasonable access to a high-performance machine, even if it is required to be in a data center. There are enough ways to sort of make that um, make that accessible and uh, diversified, and also decentralized around the world. Right. This is also a very common critique of. Bitcoin in the early days. Oh, you know, how, how many folks can afford to have access to a 28 and then, you know, 18 and then, you know, seven nanometer chip because there's, uh, there's only so many foundries in the world that can produce that. Uh, and yet uh, that is still the case, right? That it requires very advanced chip technology. Uh, and I think, you know, people still believe the Bitcoin network is very decentralized, even though there's some part of that value chain, which requires uh, you know, a pretty high standard of, of technology. So uh, to me, like, they are ultimately design trade-offs. Um, <clears throat> what you get for that is you get a network that uh, improves as technology improves, as hardware improves, the network gets better. Uh, and so it has kind of this built-in uh, continuous improvement uh, kind of capability. And uh, I, I think that's that should always be the case in technology, right? Because technology changes, changes so quickly. So those are some of my thoughts on, I think, at least the critiques that I've been hearing through the years. Definitely super insightful. And maybe switching gears and talking more about, like, um, you know, what excites you the most uh, for, for this year, for 2024, and, and maybe also, like, 2025, because it feels like, you know, we're at the precipice of, what could be, uh, you know, a bull market. Uh, I don't want to call it yet. I'm up to you to call it or not. But uh, 
what are you what are you guys thinking well in terms of the bull market in terms of the bull market and in terms of like what's exciting and what could drive it and uh, what are you personally excited about as well I don't know I, I probably I'll start first because I don't think I have something very interesting to say about this and you know Lily probably has more insights but uh, what I can say is from a retail perspective there is no such thing as a bull market right now I think price action and everything that moves is largely due to institutions and people that are already in market etc but we don't see a huge uh, creation of like new addresses on the different protocols we don't see like uh, uh, because we, we look at the different protocols per addresses and you know bucket of addresses and how much money are on those addresses etc you know we don't see that moving much and so therefore you know tells us that uh, and it's uh, align with the hardware sales that we have. So, so we see there are people coming in the market, but there aren't there aren't like you know tens of millions of people coming in the market right now, which feels about right because we still haven't you know uh, reached back the the previous all time highs. And so, I think the price will need to shoot much more uh, upwards in an upward direction if if you want uh, the next you know two hundred million consumers to to join um, to join crypto. Um, so, 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 so that's that, like, you know, uh, uh, is it, is it a bear market? I think the bear market was really over in 23, you know, uh, Bitcoin went from 15 to 45 and, you know, like, uh, uh, ETFs and, you know, uh, institutional money, uh, coming in. Um, so maybe this, this bull market will be triggered by institutional money. You know, we've been waiting for this for the past, uh, uh, you know, last last two cycles. So maybe this is the this is the time when finally institutional money is coming in and will trigger the bull market. But and then retail will follow this time. The first uh, first two that I was in it was retail first. Uh, maybe this one is uh, institution first and and retail to follow. I mean, it's it's definitely been something that uh, we've been calling for for a few years. To the extent that it became a meme, like institutional money is coming, right? <laughs> uh, but but yeah, what about you, Lily? What what's kind of your vision or yeah. analysis of the current situation yeah. as well? Uh, well, um, so uh, ever since Bitcoin started, right, um, folks have been you know writing, blogging uh, about global financial system, right, peer to peer payments, and uh, and I actually think a lot of the um, eventual use cases in crypto have already been written about, thought about in some form, right? But it just takes a long time for the infrastructure to be actually uh, be able to support those use cases. Uh, and so, you know, for me, I'm uh, really excited about, uh, I guess, broadly broadly termed finance vertical 24 and 25. Um, I think it, uh, from both ends, both the institutional and then also from the uh, kind of more retail, you know, uh, individual user perspective. Uh, so what I mean by that is, uh, I think that, you know, finally, um, the, the core sort of uh, transaction in a financial tr transaction is to be able to make a transfer uh, easily and cheaply, right? Uh, and that's something that, uh, you know, we, we feel like we've already maybe gotten there because there's a lot of DeFi on chain, which is basically based around trading, right? But the, the actual bulk of economic transaction is... Uh, around a settlement, a payment, right? And uh, and honestly, crypto has been, uh, despite the sort of original stated vision of Bitcoin uh, and crypto at the very beginning, has been pretty bad at payments because it's, you know, the best that we have is on any sort of liqu uh, reasonable liquidity base is uh, up until now uh, with Ethereum, you know, you could you know, spend $2 and wait two minutes in order to clear a transaction. 
Uh, and uh, so for me, you know, coming from the vantage point of Solana, and this is part of the reason I got very excited about Solana, uh, is, you know, you click a button, that thing happens. Um, and, uh, and that's, and as far as I can see, even, you know, this is how I felt about it a few years ago, but even now, when I look around, I don't really see another ecosystem that can really deliver a, an end user experience that is in any way, shape or form uh, competitive with what you get on you know, the regular internet these days, right? You click a button, something happens and you're on your way. Uh, instead of the traditional crypto experience, which is you click a button, you go refresh your blockchain explorer and you look at all of the, these, you know, uh, you know, oh, my money went from, you know, one long string of characters to another. And sometimes if you're, you know, bridging, you even, you even get sent into the black hole, right? Uh, <laughs> which is, uh, let's just say, not an experience for regular people. Uh, so therefore, um, I think that what we're going to be seeing is we're going to see um, uh, on the institutional uh, side, there's been a lot of effort around securitization. Uh, tokenization, which honestly already started in 2015, 2017, 2019, and I think we're going to see a new wave of that because uh, there is better infrastructure to be doing those things. And then I think uh, relevant to everyone is the ability to have a liquid payments layer. Uh, what I'm particularly excited about is the ability to uh, you know, create entirely new financial primitives based on a send-receive layer, right? So uh, you know, payments-based DeFi, I think, is a category that basically does not exist right now because it could not exist up until you had something like Solana. Uh, and by that, by that, I mean things like uh, consumer credit pools, right, that people can uh, that, uh, lend and borrow from. Uh, and, uh, and I think, you know, eventually, very eventually, things like supply chain finance, where you can take entire value chains and um, put them on blockchains, where the settlement between those are essentially all payments. Um, and then maybe other applications built around streaming payments, right? Uh, and so you take this whole sort of, you know, 14 to 30 day payment day type of concept, uh, which is what you, it has to be when you're built around banks and analog payments, uh, and shift that model entirely where you could, um, you know, have streaming payments alongside streaming video. Uh, and entirely sort of new use case essentially built around a payment settlement layer that I think, uh, you know, folks have not even really imagined, right? And going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of the composability between different application verticals, uh, one example, which I think is really not far off, is, you know, imagine there's a YouTube, a YouTube creator. Uh, it's more or less out in the open, number of views, number of, uh, uh, which you can correlate to income, and the ability for them to essentially tokenize that digital asset, which is digitally native, uh, and, um, and you could imagine that they essentially take that income stream, collateralize it, get paid up front, and then stream payments back to whoever made that initial sort of advance on, on their YouTube videos or, you know, as an example. So those to me are use cases that, um, I think are not too far off from existing. Uh, and now we actually have the infrastructure to build them. And in my mind are, you know, 10 X over what we can do today. Uh, so so yeah. interesting, at My least thoughts. from your, the creator's economy's perspective, like you, you basically flipped the advertising model kind of a upside down in order to like enable new forms of, of payments there. Yeah, uh, I mean, to me, uh, I that's a topic I'd love to talk about in greater depth, um, probably not today, but it's like one <laughs> I'm quite passionate about. When we did Earn.com a number of years ago, uh, one of our uh, one of our kind of uh, suppositions is that the internet is is totally under monetized because it's monetized through the only way to sort of make all of the activity fungible, right? Which is through mm -hmm. advertising, which is through eyeballs, and which is through clicks, which uh, with obvious uh, you know uh, uh, you know negative side consequences to that as well. 
Um, and so if the internet today is monetized through this indirect kind of payment layer, which is through advertising, right? Uh, if we have now the ability to have direct payments, uh, then, well, wouldn't that be better? Uh, and so maybe we don't actually have to uh, monetize the internet through banner ads and through, you know, uh, advertising sponsorships and all these types of things. So, you know, way back then we were looking at, for example, internet monetization uh, through, you know, something like Facebook. And I think even that it came out to be essentially an average of 25 cents per hour in its highest revenue market, which is the U.S. So, uh, anyways, this whole whole. We definitely need another episode to talk about. Yeah. That. I think it's going to be <laughs> well, fascinating. Subject. I, I need. To, I need yeah, to go. I know you're late to another meeting, <laughs> so we're going to have to wrap this up. Pascal, Lily, pleasure to have you on and, uh, you know, looking forward to talking to you next time. Yeah. Thanks, Mo. That's it. A pretty insightful conversation. 2024 is obviously shaping up to be a pivotal year for the crypto industry. And as we look ahead, continued regulatory clarity, innovative projects and a focus on user accessibility will be crucial for the success of Ledger, Solana and the blockchain ecosystem as a whole. This was on the ledger with your host Mul Said. Till next time, take care. Au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.